Ah, oh, for Christ's sake, Anakin. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air from sunny, pretty warm suburban Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It is Tuesday, May the 1st, 2018, Tuesday in the fifth week of Easter. Uh, also, the, the Feast of St. Philip and St. James, which is a fun fact for, for those Anglicans here in Toronto, St. James being the cathedral. Uh, but also, we're a few days away from May the 4th, which which is exciting, given you know, all the, the toys and merchandise. We didn't really have a Force Friday here in Canada, so hoping to check out uh, Toys R Us, Disney Store, all that. All those wonderful places where they take all my money. Speaking of toys and Disney Store and other places, I uh, have assembled my clones. I don't mean the the clones of of me. I mean the clones of Jango Fett. <laughs> I've uh, got my 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 Coruscant Guard mug. Got Commander Cody uh, vinyl bank thing. A generic five hundred first bank guy, and my Black Series. Captain Rex. We're talking about clones and Catholicity today, and then I'll get into what I mean by that in a bit. How am I Star Warsing this week? Well, I, I had wanted to get into the Last Jedi novelization for a while. There are a lot of, from what I've heard, there are a lot of added things, a lot of different things. Uh, I, I was hesitant a little bit because I tried to get into the the force awakens novelization in 2016 when it came out and i just couldn't finish it i have it sitting on my shelf here and i thought okay but there's so much added new stuff just what's going on in characters minds uh added scenes that would have made the film go even longer that weren't even in the deleted scenes things like that in the last jedi novelization and also the Vaughn Public Libraries, where the Vaughn is the city where I, I am, uh, they have a program called Fast Track where you can borrow the book for two weeks. You have to read it in those two weeks. If you don't, well, you have to return it. You can't renew it. You can't put it on hold. It's this thing for in high demand, books in high demand. And it's a cool program. I like it. It's, it's And it's one of the reasons that's getting me into this book. The uh, I finished uh, Lords of the Sith, and it was yeah, it was mostly I think I mentioned this mostly about Cham the Ryloth Free Ryloth movement. I had trouble with that one sitting down and wanting to read it, and I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just finish this. With the last Jedi novelization, no, I <laughs> it's funny, I, I I don't I don't have that feeling. I have the feeling of oh, I just want to go and sit down and read this some more. And that's that's when you know you're in a book, right? It is when you think about it when you're not reading it. You just all oh, want to get this get this going. Not just because of the fast track program, which is a great program, uh, but because it's so compelling and so gripping. And even though I've seen the film, I don't. I lost count how many times I've seen this film. Uh, I know. I know how the story goes. I know how. Uh, I know how it ends. <laughs> I I love the story so much. Maybe that's part of it. But there are some interesting different things and just last night I got to the part that I was curious about where uh, Kylo Ren is, is about to is in his, in his fighter and his silencer attacking the Radis and 
that moment where Leia connects with him through the Force. And they don't. They and, and it isn't entirely what I was expecting, but um, it was an it was an interesting moment just to see what is Leia thinking about. What is Leia especially? What what what's in what's in Kylo Ren's head? What does he sense about her? And things you can do in a book that you can't really do in a film. And that's that's the strength of a novelization. The novel, the those thoughts, generally speaking, are are considered canon. That's supposed to be what Kylo Ren actually thought, what Leia actually thought, what Luke is actually thinking. And so, some more insights there. Uh, a, a bunch of things have been spoiled for me already, just because of videos I've watched and YouTube videos and whatnot. But it, it's still still fascinating. So that, that's the main thing I'm Star Warsing with. The bit of news that came out is uh, the, the Resistance, well, not a bit of news, it's a big news, is, is the Resistance series, which wasn't that big big of a surprise. I'm, I don't, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Anime style, that's kind of neat. Another new character, well, okay, I hope, hopefully, I'm glad that it isn't simply a continuation of Rebels, but I, I can see them bringing things in. It was, it was brought up, I forget by who, where I saw this, but Rebels was both a new thing and a continuation of Clone Wars. So the Resistance is going to be this new thing, but also tying in things from Rebels, even though it's, it's set. I think this is on Collider Jedi Council. It's set mm, 19 years later. It's Well, it's set, got to be set at least six years before The Force Awakens, the, the sequel trilogy. It's probably, it, it sounds like it's going to tie in quite nicely with the Poe Dameron comic which is a little closer to The Last Jedi, but um, it's still that same sort of thing of the growing threat of the First Order and these these intelligence operatives, these pilots who, who are seeking out reconnaissance of, on the First Order. And at this point, it's, it's going to seem like, I, I hope, hope they get into... I know it's just a kid's show, maybe, quote-unquote, just a kid's show. <laughs> I hope they get into some of that politics that we've heard about, about Leia trying to demonstrate that the First Order is this real threat and not some some foolish dream of, of a warmongering you know, war hero from the Rebellion and that, that a lot of people thought Leia was. A lot of people in the, Republic, in the New Republic Senate thought Leia was just being a warmonger, couldn't get away from... Couldn't, couldn't move past the rebellion and all that. And so lost her credibility there. And if you want to the novel bloodline, again, Claudia Gray, every, every page she's written is perfect. Get into that. I should reread that. That's the first book I should reread actually is, is Claudia Gray's bloodline as I turn over and look at my shelf there. Okay. Uh, final bit of things I, I've mentioned MCU. I've talked about I, in a recent episode. I, I brought in Black Panther. I want to do a whole thing on. I might just do a rogue episode on Infinity War. I have so many. It, it is such a tremendous film, such a dark film. Uh, I know this is a Star Wars podcast, but I think I'll I'll go ahead and just. When when people have had a chance to see it, I will. I'll do a rogue episode. It won't be too long, just to say, 
what I think about Infinity War and what what its 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 theological parallels are. Not just parallels. It's not not just parallels, but what philosophical themes it takes up, and, and it really does. I mean, Thanos death, <laughs> and and to see and and the there is import there with Star Wars. I mean, you know, I mean, Christian Harloff was saying, you know, Kathleen Kennedy was at the at the premiere, and she's and they're gonna see. Oh, this is how you can build a more intimately connected thing without it feeling too small. That you know, among the films, and there's a lot less outside content in the MCU. It's the cinematic universe. So there are the the TV shows. TV shows don't really tie in as closely as Star Wars might, as Rebels might, to the films. There are a few tie-in comics here and there, but uh, the films themselves need to probably connect even more. And, and I mean, that's the thing, is, is the ramp up to episode nine, uh, you know, to see this and to see, oh, this, there's things in, in Infinity War that pertain to what happened in, in Iron Man 2 and 3 or whatever, or, or certainly in, in the first Avengers film, and things that going back, again, my biggest hope and yearning uh, for episode 9 is that it ties into the prequels more explicitly. They, I, I, I just have a feeling they won't do that. I have a feeling that there's too much originalist skittishness. There I go with my polemic again. Originalist skittishness against referencing the prequels too explicitly. I think Last Jedi did it wonderfully. I think when you know, Luke says at the height of their powers, they let Darth Sidious rise. When the Empire wiped them out. That was the explicit reference. Uh, and of course, the whole thing of Obi-Wan training Anakin to be Vader. That was the explicit reference. The whole, again, I've said this on this podcast before, but I'll say it again. The whole dialogue, debate between Rey and Luke has everything to do with the prequel trilogy and next to nothing to do with the original trilogy. Um, the other characters, Leia especially, her her arc has everything to do with the original trilogy. But But Luke's whole thing is look at the... Jedi of the prequels of the, of the end of the Republic. Look what they did. <laughs> and so I hope that's explicit. I, I, I hope again, I'm speculating here again, but I really want Anakin to come to Kylo Ren and say, this is not my legacy. You've mistaken me. <laughs> if you really want to carry on my legacy, and and have you know the in my bloodline this is actually what happened and this is actually what it all means in terms of the redemption of Anakin Skywalker that I've gone on and on in this podcast for a while now but I I, I really do want that importance brought up okay that's that's all I gotta say about that as I take a swig of my clone coffee I have the the R2 guys back there. He's not a clone, so sorry, bud. <laughs> ah, clone coffee. So yeah, clone Catholicity, and I do this unintentionally. Wanted to 
bring all my clones down here. It was kind of fun. All the down off the shelves, shelves, whatever. Um, just to see them and, and, to, and if you can picture in your mind's eye. So I got my mug of the Coruscant Guard. I said this before. I got the bank, those vinyl bank, piggy bank things of Commander Cody and a generic 501st soldier and my black series of Captain Rex. And I, I love the black series generally, but and then in the Thrawn uh, triptych, there's also a, a helmet of a clone. And then, of course, my variant of Darth Vader, of the, the 2017 Darth Vader, number two, by uh, Mike Del Mundo, Toronto's on Mike Del Mundo. Vader looking at a row of clones. And so if, if you follow me on Instagram, I don't have MNUG 1138 request to follow there. You can see my setup for this episode. Clone Catholicity. So the word Catholic, the word Catholicism, the word Catholicity, it means a bunch of different things, as words tend to do. The, uh, you know, I, I gave a whole rogue episode for the word evangelical and evangelicalism. I'm going to give it, I'm going to devote an actual episode, episode to Catholicism, because I, I'm more comfortable applying, it's more accurate, simply more accurate to say that I'm more Catholic than evangelical. But the point of being Catholic is that that's actually a false dichotomy. Catholicism to me doesn't simply mean Roman Catholicism. It can mean that, can mean that that particular church and that particular structure and way of doing things and way of thinking through things. Uh, the very, you know, very analytical, they, they have a very analytical, it's called systematic uh, or scholastic in the medieval tradition of, of analyzing reality, really. And, and, and it, I find that profound. I find that, I mean, Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas is, is the prime example of that and he is the clearest and most uh, yeah, profound, again, use that word, uh, the most breadth and most detailed and most organized thinker, I, I would claim, in, in all of Western history. I'm not exaggerating there. He, he was able to pull in all of Aristotelian philosophy. He was able to pull in all of Augustinian patristic theology. He was able to sit down and just organize and clarify without losing the mystery of, of faith, without making this dry set of propositions he said it's about who is the god who is this god what has he showed us about the world what has he shown us about himself and and yeah you can articulate in a way that's very systematic and, and i start with thomas aquinas because he is a great the great catholic thinker both in the sense of roman catholicism he's, he's the in a way the foundational theologian for everything that came after Roman Catholicism over against say Protestantism where they rejected that method they rejected the clarity that he brought to some degree and they thought it was too much and too institutional hierarchical that's an overstatement a lot of 
Protestants, especially say Richard Hooker, were ended up becoming a bit more Thomist. In the 20th century, Reformed theologians even started to become more Thomist, more, yeah, that medieval systematization, just, and it, just as a way of organizing our thoughts, just as a way of not entirely, I mean, it could have, it can does succumb to, again, this dry set of propositions, but as a way of of holding everything together and really as a way of teaching it to seminarians and teaching it to uh, to lay people who I mean the idea of a, a catechism I mean, these those come from those are ancient but I think the way catechisms the fact that catechisms are organized I, I would say I don't know if this is entirely true but it oh, probably owes a lot to the way St. Thomas Aquinas organized his Summa Theologica. I start with Thomas Aquinas again because he brought in everything. And to me, the word Catholicism doesn't mean, doesn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean Roman Catholicism. It doesn't mean rigid and cold and institutional. It means Unit literally means pertaining to the whole. The parts pertain to the whole. And so, if you can think of, think of, think of, yeah. Here's here's a good example. Think of a piece of pie, right? Think of that pie. The whole pie is baked, and you you cut a pie out. The piece of pie finds its existence as being part of the bigger pie that you've now just you know should have broken out you can a piece of pie that that's a a a very rough metaphor the best example i'm thinking of not the best example but a good example i'm thinking about is a military unit like a clone military unit and i'll get to to that in a minute but what i mean there is so so what we literally mean by pertaining to the whole is that you have a parish, you have a diocese head of, in a city headed by a bishop with a bunch of parishes. You have, for for the Anglican Communion, for example, you have a national church and you have the Anglican Communion. You have all these parts. They find their meaning and they find their existence as a church by virtue of being a part of God's universal work with humanity and with creation. They find their meaning by being being part. So a parish finds its meaning as a parish because it's part of a diocese. Because the priest is being, you know, the priest and the, the, the rules, the canons are governed by the diocese. A diocese, you know, and, and the priest is ordained by the bishop and sent there and appointed or, or whatever. A priest, and so I, yeah, I'll, I'll get to priests and bishops as a priest, a bishop, and a, a diocese is part of the Catholic Church by virtue of being, or well, the diocese, sorry, I should say, is a diocese by virtue of being part of the Catholic Church. It is the instantiation, the local presence of the universal in that city, in that region of, of rural whatever rural territory whatever type of place it is 
it is considered part of the Christian church, the church Catholic, by virtue of being part of the church. It, it, it is itself only by virtue of being a part of the universal thing. But what that means, on the other hand, is that the whole universal pertains to the parts and can be drawn in. And there's uh, there, there's where, where the rubber meets the road in my mind is to be Catholic is to be broad. To be Catholic is to include as much as you can. Um, and so what that means is, yes, I can read Thomas Aquinas and have you know, the the whole weight of medieval med reflection on on the sacraments and on Mary and the saints. It means I can read Luther and his critique of over-institutionalized Christianity, his critique of you know, our, our works and, and our, our reason to sort out what God wants. His you know his idea of sin and our total need of God that goes back to Augustine goes back to Saint Paul rooted in Scripture. What it means is innovations in evangelism in presenting the gospel in podcasting <laughs> you know, in um, all those things I was talking about at least the good parts of evangelicalism can be can find their place in the church catholic what it means is then people's lives whatever we experience and we encounter when we come to church we find our meaning by virtue of being baptized into christ's body and all of christ's body you know we minister to the body and the body ministers to us. And so, you know, it, it, it is because the many for the one, the one for the many. There is a way of, of you know, of harmonizing that. And the, the, the way we talk about it then, and it's a bit of a cliche, but the phrase is unity in diversity and diversity amidst unity or unity amidst diversity Diversity coming together in a unity, and it's not conformity, it's not uniformity, it's common cause, common common prayer, <laughs> common worship. These phrases we use, common praise. These words that Anglicans use especially because we have our common prayer tradition. Common prayer tradition of, of having a single book or a set of books that we all come together that's a very Catholic thing in the sense of we, we're coming together and we experience and we live these realities in the local place. We come together as a synod and have our diverse perspectives, but we're coming together. We're pertaining to the whole. We're looking to the center that is Christ. Okay, so that, that's what I mean by Catholicism as I take a swig of my coffee here i hope that made sense <laughs> uh, it's a bit philosophical but if it did if it didn't let me know <laughs> um on twitter neug 485 
what we see with the clones, then it does and doesn't, obviously. I mean, and for all of these things, it doesn't, and it doesn't perfectly match up. And I'll, I'll get to that first. Is that they are literally clones. <laughs> they were created on Camino out of the same same template of Jango Fett, as I said before. They all sound the same. They all sound like Timur Morrison in <laughs> New Zealand accent. Uh, they all have the same face and same body. They're engineered, organized. They all at least start out with the same uh, same uniform and everything. They are uniform. And they are programmed and trained to conform. And that that's that's a, a caricature. Sometimes it's, it's a criticism of what uh, what Christians do. It's a, it maybe it's, sometimes it is a fair criticism, frankly, <laughs> in that uh, you know do do we sometimes want to spout out people who just don't actually question, don't actually explore for ourselves, but we we just feed what we're regurgitate what we're told i mean you know marx's opium of the masses that must have come from some that came from somewhere right and came from a blind eucharistic piety that yeah and, and well piety itself can't be blind i should retract that but a blind sense of this is what we got to do this is just the thing we're supposed to do and we still do that uh, they're also an army <laughs> and and i'm I, I've mentioned before, uh, I'm I'm let's say I'm ambiguous about the uh, the military metaphors used for Christians. I, I I get it. I get why I get the criticisms of it. Sometimes I, I'll say this. I think sometimes it it can be overblown. If it's taken too literally, it's definitely overblown. Uh, you know, the war in Iraq is definitely uh, freaky, but when when that was used, but there is a sense of personal struggle that I do understand. It is an interesting story there. I think I got the details right. The in the nineties when the uh, the Anglican Church of Canada was reforming was was. Yeah, reforming our hymnal. They asked indigenous communities, First Nations communities. I think they asked about specific songs, and I think it was "Honor Christian Soldiers Marching Us to War." I believe was was the hymn in question, and and well-meaning, very peace-loving white Anglicans came to these these folks and said, uh, "So we're thinking of taking this one out." It 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 it's got it could lead to this violent understanding of the Christian faith and and its relationship to the world. And what do you guys think? And the, and the indigenous community said, "No, keep it in. We we were. It, it's something that we've grown up with as a way of understanding our own struggle uh, struggle against addictions and against depression and against." Uh, family dysfunction and things that they do struggle with disproportionately more because of the re legacy of the residential schools and because of <laughs> the quote unquote Christian soldiers that came and invaded their land. Um, they kept it in 
they, they wanted wanted us to keep it in. So so it's in the 1998 hymnal, I believe. I think that's the hymn. I, I know it's something to do. I, I heard this in a sermon at uh, an Anglican church near here, Holy Trinity, Thornhill. And, and that's interesting that we, we have to remember there is a place for that military martial metaphor. Just have to be very careful with it, and especially if if it's coming from a, a generally oppressed minority. Okay, I can I can see them wanting it in. I, I can understand that. I'd be <laughs> I'm just you just need to be careful with that. What's interesting, <laughs> of course, they're <laughs> ultimately they're not. You know the 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 parallel breaks down, and that the clones were just a, a tool for Palpatine's Palpatine to rise from the Empire and wipe out the Jedi. So that was there's that. Um, you know, but what do we see positively? Yes, they are all clones. Yes, they are all uh, you know, bred given the same uniforms, very white, clean uniform. Yeah, they're soldiers. They have a common purpose and a common identity, is what you see. And, and you see this especially in the Clone Wars series, where, first of all, they aren't just machines and robots. And, and that's this interesting thing that does and does differentiate them from the, the Separatists. They're manufactured, but they're still human, and they still take on personalities and characters, and they're and they're encouraged to do that. And so, what that means, and I'll get to ultimately what it means in a second, but what that means is uh, they can legitimately themselves commit to to the work of the Clone Army of the Grand Army of the Republic. They can, can themselves commit to the unit, to the local. By virtue of being part of this clone army, they commit to their local unit, to their brothers, to their general, their Jedi generals that they love and they genuinely care for, right? And you see this in the Clone Wars. They, there is something that happens, and this is what vestments are, church vestments, for example, are about. There is something that happens when people have a common, a common look. This is the point of uniforms, really. A common look, a, a, a common sense of what we're doing here. And their common purpose. And you could be on Coruscant, or you can be on Camino, or you can be on Utapau, or wherever you are. And you can know that these people in, in my, our uniform that sound have speak the same language and have the same voice have my back. It's almost like how you know, the theme of Pentecost, for example, is that people understood the language. They could act, it was a reversal of the Tower of Babel. There is it's literally called an esprit du corps that armies have, a spirit of the core, spirit of the body. And so in the Clone Wars series, we're actually invited to see them as the good guys. Even though we know how it ends up, 
in episode three. We know we know what happens there. But we go into why, right? We actually, you know, with Order 66, with the chip, we actually see, oh, they were perverted from birth for this. They, this is not really, Order 66 is not really their fault at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it is, it, it is Darth Sidious and Darth Tyrannus' fault, right? It is the Kaminoans for going along with it because the the Sith paid them enough to do it the end of the day you know and, and of course at the end of the day what we see is we see with in the Clone Wars is the great arc where they actually these clones have the intelligence and the initiative at least a few of them from the 501st and they learned this I'm sure they learned this from Anakin have the intelligence and the initiative and the individual personality to actually find out what this chip is and part of it is because a chip malfunctions early but they have the drive to go figure it out right they was that there in, in the canaan comic you see another clone who who, who didn't uh wasn't part of the 501st he also or, or at least he, he sees what he's done and he's traumatized by it and he, he repents if you will on, on his on his deathbed even though again I morally speaking this is an interesting question I, the moral assessment of order 66 if you're programmed by a chip in your brain I mean you you do turn into a killing machine and your moral culpability becomes a different question my point in saying that the whole thing with, with the chip with Order 66 is, yes, they are common. Yes, they are bred as clones. Yes, they have a similar uniform. But, I mean, I'm counting this. My mug, Cody, generic dude, and and Rex, and then all the, the, the white guys in the, the Vader comic there, they all have different uniforms, all have different roles, different functions again some of that was bred but some of that's just a matter of uh the way the the mutation <laughs> worked out in the way that you know all of us our personalities are born from birth the, the nature and some of it is is what they learn along the way the scars they learn along the way i mean there, there's this great thing that uh that captain rex says to ahsoka in in rebels I don't know if he says it in, in Clone Wars 2, but the experience counts as rank. And, of course, Ahsoka's response is, and as I outrank you way more, but from, from what she's seen, that we don't know. But Rex has this sense that, and Rex is, of course, one of the ones who had his chip removed and didn't participate in Order 66. He's He's gone. He's on, uh, uh, he's on Mandalore with Ahsoka about that point, I believe. So you have copy. My point is their common uh, their common breeding, their common uniform doesn't squelch their personality, doesn't squelch the diversity. That's the difference with between the, the Grand Army, the Republic Clone Army, and the Imperial Stormtroopers and the First Order Stormtroopers is 
the clones have plenty of diversity. They have plenty of freedom to be actual characters in the story, to have a story for their own lives. Yeah, there are. There's desertion. There's another, but there's, that's that's an interesting. You know, and desertion's punished into the consequences. But there's an interesting uh, another episode in Clone Wars where um, there's a clone deserter, <laughs> and and uh, Captain Rex finds him having settled down on this planet with with a wife and a kid. Right? They have that ability and and yeah the Kamina ones would call that a mutation but the clones call that uh, a, a fascinating expression and they don't report him and uh, yeah it's interesting they so the, the common so the, the, the individual personality pertains to the whole and the common pertains to the person right they until Order 66, if you escaped Order 66, you know, that's the funny thing with the Clone Wars. anything about the Clone Wars. They are the clones, rather, the, in the Clone Wars series. One of the most interesting parts of that show is how they are personalities and their characters. That they are themselves personally committed to this work that, to, to well, to their body, to their core. C-O-R-P-S, C-O-R-P. <laughs> they're committed to the work that they're called to do and so uh, yeah they're not, they're not drones they're not droids um, so that that's my thoughts and it, as an interesting just like the pie there's an it's an interesting example of what it means what if there are is a sort of catholicity of the clone army and what Catholicism means to me. I, I doubt they have. It would be interesting to see if there was any sort of forced sensitivity. I think legends might have gone into that. What it would mean for, for them to, well, I guess they'd have Jango Fett's midichlorine count. But <laughs> what would it mean for them to actually become stronger in the Force? I think they've explored a bit of that. What it mean to be a clone who at least part of the church of the force or who knows what that would be fascinating to me because it's a question that we haven't really explored and because the clone army is still ultimately creation of the dark side in terms of the Sith using it to wipe out the Jedi. But that's for, that's for more stories that would be interesting to find out. Um, so those are my thoughts. I hope they're, <laughs> Hope they made sense. Um, if you have any questions, please, again, send me a line at NUG485 on Twitter. Give me a follow. Request a follow on Instagram at MNUG1138. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you always. <laughs>